You're sounding good there, Aaron. Oh, thanks. It's because I have a cardboard box behind me. Ooh. You might be wondering, why is there a giant cardboard box behind me? Did you get a bike? Uh, no. Oh. I am taking a bike to Montana. Nice. We should talk about that on the show. We should talk about that. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures, life hacks, and today, biking through reno nevada that's right we've got kirsten graham on the line tonight kirsten thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me uh as we mentioned it's this has been a long time coming yes it has um our listeners won't know but I, we were talking before the show started rolling i sent kirsten an email almost two years ago and uh one of our listeners sebastian was kind enough to remind us that <laughs> we should tie that loop finally um because Kirsten was on a trip that, or or in a on a pathway that would have landed him here in Portland, uh, that that didn't happen, and we weren't doing the digital interviews at the time. So, um, thank you for making the time now, and I'm I'm glad we get to finally get get to chat with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this evening. We're gonna have a good time. Indeed, um, Aaron, what have you been up to this week? Um, this week has been spent mostly procuring a bike box. Nice. Which is a little bit more difficult than you'd expect. Did you manage? Yes. Okay. I had to buy one. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Should I ask how much bike boxes uh, are right now? Yeah, you can. I have to think for a minute. I think I paid around, I want to say close to $18. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot more than I thought you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was it one of those? Because I know like FedEx and Amtrak shame. have, um, theoretically, boxes that you can go get. Mm-hmm. Um, this was... So there's a, uh, like, literally a, a box company or a box store uh, down the street to where I live. Um, that was kind of a last resort for me. Uh, my original... Um, plan was to just get a box from a local shop mm-hmm. and there probably are local shops around here that we that are listening and will be going like yeah why didn't you come to us well because i tried two places and three places and got three no's mm. for different reasons we, we won't um, say those shops names out loud no no not at all <laughs> and, and they were all valid like one shop said like we just don't feel comfortable giving them out due to the uh risk of of coronavirus and that's totally respectable Mm -hmm. um another box or another place just didn't didn't have them at the time they're like oh you you're just a week too late uh anyway uh that said like you know really buying a box is not that big of a deal it's maybe more than i wanted to spend but so it goes um and uh tell her tell her 
or, or our listeners might be wondering why why do you need a oh, box yeah Aaron? <laughs> why, don't, don't you why would I, aren't you uh aren't you a fan of a certain style of bicycle that you can just fold up and take anywhere i do i, I am a big on? fan of of bromptons and folding them up and taking them anywhere um but uh, in this particular case i have to uh send a bike send a bike well i'm checking a bike in a flight uh but this has got to be a full rigid frame uh surly disc trucker that is going with me this time around um i am heading out to missoula montana for some family stuff and while i'm there uh, my brother who has gotten into the whole gravel bike scene, him and I are going to do about 80 miles of mixed pavement, gravel, dirt, fun. So, uh, I'm not sure a Brompton is the right bike for that. <laughs> it's, you <laughs> no, know, the Brompton could be, talk about niche categories, Brompton, <laughs> well, uh, was, gravel biking. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted. I, I thought, well, you know, it'd just be easier just to take that i've already got a case for the brompton and you know it would be a lot of fun to do 40 miles of gravel on a a tiny little bike and just to be able to say i did it but i would also have to do it or complete it in order to be able to say i've done it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, i wasn't sure if that was really the right choice so uh i will be dismantling my disc trucker over the next couple days and heading out this weekend. Nice. Yeah. I feel uh, I feel a little bad because we have a box sitting at our house that was supposed to be for the Japan trip. And oh, ha- really? I, I didn't put two and two <laughs> together because you told us you you know you you texted that you were going, and I what, and I should have said, hey, do you need a bike box? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had one sitting here for like four months now. <laughs> you know, I of all the people who would have a box laying around you were the first person to come to mind but then i thought nah he probably doesn't though Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like uh gosh before you know the world flipped uh it was it was one of the things that i just got on the bike shop riding home i still i paid you know five bucks for it and that's why i was surprised about the 18 but that was back in a different time when people had cardboard that they were looking to get rid of more so than anything else and this is i mean this is a box place so you know you're probably paying maybe more of a premium in the fact that it's a kind of a niche store mm, gotcha well it better get it there that's all i have to say <laughs> right i want my 18 dollars back if it's damaged yep <laughs> <laughs> might be might be the airline's fault if that's the case but we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> well then i will sue the airline for 18 dollars have you uh have you seen that song about i think it's like american airlines and this guy's guitar no oh uh, gosh i'll need i'll need to look it up or we can hopefully remember to link it in the show notes um fellow was traveling i think it was aa but if i'm wrong i'm wrong uh it was traveling on an airline and they just smashed his guitar and oh no he, it was like a really it was like a nice gibson or something like that that mm-hmm. was passed down and he he followed it up the chain and they just it went nowhere with it so he wrote this like hit song about how american airlines smashed his guitar it's got like <laughs> millions and millions of views on youtube it's it's pretty funny actually <laughs> you know if you can't if you can't go up the proper channels then take the yeah. people's channel yeah right nice. on well this week um i've been prepping for a different trip of a sorts of my own um 
what I've been looking into has been um, activities that one can do during quarantine that don't involve talking to other people. And I've settled on bike rafting as that activity. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is something that like I've wanted to get into or do like ever since 2010 or 2011. I used to work as a zipline guide up in Alaska. And a fellow up there who was part of the guide camp just had this little dinghy that he would inflate and just take out into the bay and kind of like putts around and always had a grin on his face. And I was like, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, come to find out you can put bikes on them so uh i've been looking at the lower clackamas river as a good starter for bike rafting looks like i can take some back roads at that direction this weekend and nice. um, the goal will be to run into nobody but still be within relatively speaking the portland metro region uh, get a nice 30 mile bike in get a nice 8 to 15 mile raft on bike in and then bike back home um because you can do that here in the basin or the bottom of the Willamette Valley. Yeah. So uh, I did a flat water run on the Willamette earlier this week from Selwood up to close to St. John's. It was kind of like the Daimler building down in Swan Island. And it was 100% paddling for like five hours. And I said, you know what? I need to find some like less flat water <laughs> if this is going to be a thing. Um, but it went successfully, and that is, you know, that is what I am looking forward to uh, for yeah. a portion of my weekend. I, I will be up to other things as well. And for those who happen to have listened to, is it two shows ago, maybe, um, with the Pedal Shift Project? Oh, okay. We did the Bicycle Draft, and this is essentially the same trip you ended up with. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're going to actually go out and do it in real life see, after we see, kind of did Tim, this fantasy Tim thought draft. I was kidding or he, I was like, you know, when people don't take me seriously, I just have to prove them wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, I was like, no, I'm dead serious. We, I had it all queued up and everything. So, wow. Um, I've, I've done a lot of rafting in Oregon. I've been on this particular river in the past. Uh, the lower section you can do on like a inner tube and you're pretty much fine. Mm -hmm. um, not this season because it's still pretty cold, but I'll have a PFD and um, spray deck and all that stuff. So I feel pretty good about it. But um, yeah, it you are not incorrect. I basically am re real lifing the uh, bike draft yeah. from two episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, uh, uh, speaking, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Like, I've heard of this happening, and I've always thought it was like a very niche thing mm -hmm. that people um, with maybe more resources than I could muster would put together. Um, so it's cool to see like a real person doing this. Oh, okay. That's you. I'm a real, a real person. person. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest, I feel pretty similar. Um, what, what actually... <laughs> it's kind of silly how this actually came to pass uh a friend <laughs> who is in nepal right now um he kind of got trapped over there with this stuff going on and he he doesn't um get good tax things by sending them to my house and then using it as an excuse to visit every six or eight months um 
because Oregon doesn't have sales tax. And well, he probably does it just as a, as an excuse to visit. Yeah. Oh, he, not, totally. Not that's, because of the taxes. <laughs> that's what's going on. That's that's why he's doing it. Well, yeah. so he shipped a canoe here, and we've had a canoe sitting in our house for like basically four months now. And right. I finally texted him. I was like, "Hey, if you're kind of trapped over there, do you mind if I give the canoe a go?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, go for it." Um, so I got awesome. it. I got it all set up and stuff. And then I realized that. Um, you and it's one of those like folding canoes that's kind of nice for urban dwellers or such yeah um and i and i got it set up and i realized that you can't really strap a bicycle to the top of that particular canoe and my whole plan was like all right i'll put it on the back of the bike rack and i'll like bike to where i'm gonna go and i'm gonna put the bike on top of the canoe and like it's gonna be great and i put it on in the in the living room and i was like oh well this (laughs) isn't gonna work work, but now i really want to do this (laughs) so yeah I, i broke the piggy bank a little bit and um decided fuck it uh it's i've been waiting almost a decade to get into the pack graph thing i knew i mm-hmm. liked it the first moment i saw it and so um you know in wow. lieu of going to new zealand for a year this this will be kind of that trip for me sure sure it's it's sounding pretty cool yeah well um hopefully i'll survive and come back and maybe have some stories <laughs> to tell from it awesome Speaking of uh, bike packing in particular, Kristen, you just got yeah. done with a trip in the Toyabi range, if I recall. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, um, I've I've spent a few few trips uh, in the Toyabis, um, you know, riding the Toyabi Crest um, and riding in and around some of the mountain ranges uh, nearby. Um. But I knew that there were a handful of, of creeks in that area. Um, and I recently invested in a Tenkara rod. Um, so now I have no excuse. Um, I, can, I can carry a fly rod with me um, and all the gear that I need uh, with absolutely zero penalty on the bicycle. Um, and so if I do come across streams and such, then uh, I'm I'm equipped to check out what might be what might be in there nice and so i had a few streams in mind uh that i'd heard may or may not have fish in them uh so i uh, linked some dirt roads together to to get to them and uh was pleasantly surprised i found fish and found places to fish and uh and now i know that i'll always carry a fly rod with me when i go into the desert nice and uh, Kirsten, for folks who haven't run across his work before, um, is the creator and author of BikepackingNevada.blog um, and also part of the Reno Bike Project, which we'll get a chance to talk about as well. Um, for the Tenkara Rod, th- that's kind of like the known quantity within the bike plus fishing realm, as, as far as I am aware, uh, but, but mainly through Pathless Pedaled and, and Russ and his advocacy work for such a rod there. Yeah, it, it has become, you know, uh, the, the rod of choice. Um, you know, I've, I've carried, I've carried a fly rod before. Um, it's, it's always a little more bulky to carry a fly rod and a reel, um, and, and the gear that you would normally carry, um, going fly fishing. Um, so Tinkara is just taking that and simplifying it the most that you can, um, you know, there are people out there who could probably tell you, well, you know, you could even simplify it further. You could get rid of the rod and just do a hand line. 
Um, or you could just reach into the water and grab the fish if you're really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Super minimal. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's always way to, there are always ways to go one step further. Um, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the challenge of Tinkara. Um, it's, it's a new form of fly fishing for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of fun and I've, and I've made a couple trips, uh, since, uh, the, the Toyabis. And so, um, it'll definitely be a part of, of what I do from here on out, uh, with bikepacking Northern Nevada. Nice. Um, and how did you get into the blog and, and sort of covering that, that section? Cause it's, it goes back a while. It's been a project for some time, it seems. And there's a lot of great info on there for folks looking to ride around that area. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm always looking for something else to do. Um, and so when I started working at the Reno bike project, um, I was, I was no longer racing. Um, I just didn't feel like I had the time to, to put into that sort of training and, uh, committing to travel. Um, and so I, I do have a bit of touring, uh, experience and background. Um, there were some, people out there who suggested, Hey, why don't you put together, you know, road riding routes. Um, and just one thing led to another, um, I kind of, I'd gone down this rabbit hole of, uh, uh, French camping bicycles, you know, looking at these old steel, beautiful bikes and, uh, you know, and, and a lot of that was popular at the Reno bike project. Um, you know, it's the Reno bike project is a community bike shop filled with bike nerds and you know we all have our eccentricities um and so i was just kind of looking at these different areas and someone said well hey what about bike packing and i didn't even know what that word meant so that of course was my my first question is well, what what is bike packing and you know you can find that question all over the internet and you can find if you look at 10 different sites you'll find 10 different answers and so i was like yeah this this is interesting to me this is great and um i i had a a salsa fargo frame and fork that i hadn't even built up or done anything with and i was like oh well i'll, I'll just keep moving forward with this and um so yeah in late in late in 2014 i bit the bullet and you know as creators you know it is very difficult to hit that publish post uh (laughs) button and you just don't know what you're doing each time you're doing it well it's it's gotten a lot easier over the years um but it's it's been a lot of fun and i've met a lot of great people um and i just keep pushing myself to um explore northern nevada and i and i really try to keep it specific to to nevada um and it's ends up being northern nevada because reno is in northern nevada um i i don't get down to las vegas um so uh yeah it's it's really been a great journey um and uh i too have included uh a little bit of uh bike rafting um and how strange that is you know why would you ever go buy a pack raft when you live in the desert um, but I always like to say that there is a lot more water than people realize um, mm. in the desert. 
Um, so we do have some great um, basin lakes, and uh, and then those lakes are filled by um, just gorgeous rivers. Um, so even though it's not an overabundance of water, um, northern Nevada has some great water to uh, to get on. Nice. How long have you been working on the blog as the project? Um, late 2014. Okay, nice. So, yeah, five, five, six years now. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been great growing. And I, I really kind of am surprised that I've made such a commitment to it. But um, at some point, it really becomes an obsession. Mm. People will ask me, oh, do you want to go ride in California? No, not really. <laughs> I, I have to spend all my time riding in Nevada because that's just how I uh, focus my efforts. Mm-hmm. How did the Reno Bike Project come about? So <clears throat> um, about 14 years ago, um, two, two young guys coming out of uh, college, uh, Noah Silverman and Kyle Kozar, um, they had this idea. Um, they, they were familiar with community bike shops. Um, Noah had gone to school in Bellingham, Washington. Mm. And so he was familiar with the hub, um, which is a community bike shop up there that we really have modeled, um, most of our, of our programs from. Um, and so they, they grew out of a basement. Um, they grew out of a handful of volunteers that were highly energetic and, um, and then a community, the Reno community has supported the Reno bike project, um, you know, every year. And, uh, we've seen incredible growth. I've been with the Reno bike project for seven years now. Um, and, and we're still growing. Um, the, the pandemic, uh, has definitely caused us to change everything that we do. Um, it's, it's been a, uh, a wild ride to say the least. Um, and then I would say the nation's response to bicycle riding has made it a wild ride nationwide. Mm. Um, so it's, it's been pretty crazy. You know, if you've been following that, you can't buy a bicycle under $2,000 and and they literally are just not available. You know, none of those suppliers have bicycles, um, 26 inch Schrader valve tubes, uh, are gone nationwide. Um, you know, we're hoping that there will be shipments arriving in July. Um, so we're anxiously waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, my boss then said, you better buy all the patch kits you can. (laughs) Going to be my next question. (laughs) Two weeks prior to the tubes disappearing, I wasn't able to find patch kits from any of my suppliers. Mm. Oh no. And you know, and that's, that's going with our, you know, name brand, um, you know, Rima tip top, uh, you know, patch kits from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then I started looking at, you know, other brands, even though I wasn't trusting them as much as, you know, our, our good old standby. Um, and they started disappearing and I had some on order and I didn't receive those in my order. So I'm like, okay, this is getting serious. Yeah, um, no kidding. You know, so I, I had ordered as many as I could. And then I was like, well, you know, I have single patches and I have tubes of glue. I could just start, you know, creating my own little, you know, c- 
COVID patch kits and we'll sell those and we'll put a sticker in there for the bike shop and, and so on. And, um, but you know, that's, that's what we have to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, uh, it's, it's been a wild adjustment. Um, but we've learned, we've learned a lot along the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we continue to get great support from everyone. Um, so we're, we're super appreciative of that. Nice. With that, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we hit record, but when I think of Reno and I think of Portland and I think of them as bike cities, I, like very different images come to mind. Uh, what's kind of ca- the characteristic of the bike community and, and sort of who you'll see out riding and, and what sorts of going ons uh, that you'll see around the city? Um, it's, it's hard to get... Um you know, a, a list or a, a count of how many people are bike riding in Reno. You know, I think, I think the best count that we've ever had would be as, unfortunately, as small as maybe only a thousand commuters. Um, but we know that that's a, a very much an underestimated uh, number. Um, you know, there are a lot of groups of people um, who are not counted. Um, you know, the, the number one employer in, in Nevada is going to be, um, you know, our, our hotel casino businesses. Um, and, and a lot of those workers, um, are traveling by bicycle, um, even though it's not obvious. Um, but, you know, Reno, um, with its close proximity to Tahoe, um, with that sort of mountain town, ski town, um, atmosphere, um, you know, we have a great mountain biking community. We have the legacy of um, Greg LeMond um, in our road riding community. Uh, we have a handful of old active clubs. We have um, at any given time over a dozen bike shops, um, each of them creating their community, um, you know, their group rides and hangouts Um and so I have always felt, and of course I've always been in the bicycle community here in Reno. Um, and that's for about, you know, 20 years now. Um, so, so my view has always been that we have this very strong community. Um, we have strong advocacy. We are working with the city, um, to, to get better infrastructure and, and I'm sure no matter how good a city's infrastructure is um, or bicycling infrastructure, they will always ask for more. Um, and so we do that here in Reno as well. So um, we really appreciate getting protected bike lanes, um, getting bike lanes, getting green painted bike lanes, um, the green zebra stripes in places where bicycles and cars, um, you know, might run together. Um, all of these things I think are going um, in the right direction um, at a pace that um, everyone can manage. Nice. It's, it's much drier here than Portland. Um, uh, You know, we are, we are a high desert. Um, Reno probably averages about 4,500 feet in elevation. Um, A river runs through it. Um, We have the Truckee river, which is a, fantastic resource um 
And, um, you know, there will be some people that say, oh, Reno is flat. And then <laughs> there will be others who say, no, Reno is hilly. Mm. And um, Nevada is always windy. Um, so that adds its own form of hills. Um, so I think you could probably find whatever type of riding you're looking for here in Reno. You know, we, we have a great road riding community. Um, we have a great mountain biking community. Um, and, and we definitely have dedicated commuters. Um, there, we have seasonal commuters and we have uh, year-round commuters. Um, we do get some snow, um, but for the most part, we have um, such blue skies and uh, intense sunshine that the snow melts away very quickly. Nice. Yeah, in uh, Nevada in particular, just kind of the way the hills and valleys work is I always find that that area of the states very fascinating. Um, I like how you have these like large valleys with mountains either on the left or the right. And it just seem, kind of seems like depending on which direction you go through it, you just kind of hit these like mountains and valleys just all the way through. And Oregon <laughs> is a little bit different. You know, you, you get up in the central part of the state um, and you go, you do a bit of up down and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it does kind of top out and it's relatively flat unless you're hitting or going down through and back out of a drainage. Um, but the, the landscape of the state has always just had this very special quality, I think, uh, at least in terms of, of my travel through it. It's, it's very nice. I like it. Yeah. Um, we're easily the, the lumpiest state. Um, that's you know, a good way to put over, it. <laughs> <laughs> over 50 mountain ranges. Um, we, for, you know, from a geology point of view, we have the thinnest crust, um, what that does for us is that we also have um, great hot springs. Um, most of them are undeveloped. Um, so, you know, if, if you wanted to do a, a, a bike tour that includes hot springs, uh, that would be easy to do. Um, and so, but, but I always let people know that make sure the low gears on your bike work really well. You know, if, if you haven't tuned up your bike lately, at least tune up your lowest gears because no matter where we go, we're, we're going to be doing some climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and, but, you know, when you get to do this climbing, uh, you will have amazing views. Um, you'll have those valleys in between and you'll have just layers upon layers of mountains no matter which direction you look. Mm-hmm. When you're doing wow. the oh, after you, Aaron. No, no, I'm just, I'm just exclaiming in my mind <laughs> what the scenery might be. He, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm astounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, good. Keep exclaiming. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna say, you know, for bike packing and such, it can mean different gear ratios, different places, different purposes. Uh, what kind of you know, what kind of setup do you think is a good fit for that area? And if, if anybody's, and, uh, I, I'm, I haven't even bike packed. I'm a bike tourer by nature. Uh, and so when I think of like gear ratios and I think of what one needs to get out and to do that kind of stuff, like sometimes my mind just gets overwhelmed because there's so many different ways to approach that. Um, and I 
come from a background of feeling like the bike you have is the best bike to do whatever you're trying to do anything on just kind of as a start. Um, but for anybody looking to maybe transition into bike packing or to add it in or in some flavor or another, um, do you have kind of any tips or recommendations for folks who would looking, be looking to do that? I definitely ascribe to, you know, the, the bike you have is, is the best bike, um, to have as well. Um, you can, you can always, um, you know, manipulate your, manipulate your routes to, to, to fit the bicycle that you have. Um, but if you, if you really just want to get out and to be able to explore the, the greatest range of area, um, here in the basin and range, um, and you want to be able to ride as much as you can because eventually you will always be um, walking your bike at some point. And um, the euphemism I like to use is that you're looking for rocks at that point. Um, So if you want to maximize pedaling time, um, I really like the plus size tires um, because we always have sand. We always have rough rock. Um, you know, to, to say that, well, you could then just go to a fat bike. Um, you can, uh, and, and that would definitely get you through the most terrain. Um, but you'll do it slower. Um, and then, you know, our modern mountain bike gear ratios, um, are, are pretty amazing. You know, if, if you do want to go with a, a one by, um, system, um, I would pick the smallest chain ring up front possible. Um, you, that's usually around a 28. Yeah. And, um, you know, pick the largest range of low gears you can in the rear. Um, but I think the traditional um, triple chain ring up front, um, or at least the double chain ring up front, Uh-oh. looks like we might Sounds, have lost you yeah. for a second there, Kristen. Sounds like it got locked up here. I'll give a, give him a sec. While we wait, I'm gonna open up this kombucha. Ooh, what uh, what kombucha do you have there, Aaron? This is the raspberry harvest from Lionheart. Very nice. Mm. It's been a long time since I've had this. Yeah, <laughs> and no, no seltzer water today. What's what's no going on? No seltzer water and. W- would you guess where I got this from? Why would it be the beer mongers on Southeast Division and Twelfth? That is correct. The beer mongers on Southeast Division and Twelfth. Speaking got to of- go by there um, earlier this week and got to say hi to Sean. Asked him if he was ready for um, Phase One. He says he's not even worried about going to Phase One. <laughs> he says he wants to do this thing as slowly and cautiously as possible. So please, go get your bottles over at the Beer Mongers. They are still a bottle shop. Oh, yeah. Speaking of bottles, that was a can. But uh, I am having Mind the Gap, which was inspired by our reading choice of the credits last week. So in the spirit of (laughs) Mind the Gap. Yes. And this is a uh, to-go. What's it described as? Rubens Brews, Mind the Gap, On the Go, India Pale Ale. And um, it's pretty good. It's like, it's 35 IBU, 5.3% alcohol by volume. And it 
delivers the hops. And I've noticed nice. I haven't been like drinking a lot more IPA now than I guess at any other point in time. But I finally I saw this beer video of somebody who actually knows or like I think they know what they're talking about kind of describe the differences between high cost and low cost beer um uh-huh. and it was one of those like blind taste test things and it was the first time that it ever clicked for me of like oh you know the reason this one is like a dollar more per can or such is because of how much hops they're cramming into it and this was not an expensive beer but it is a very tasty beer it's got a lot of hops in it and uh yeah. i like that it it tastes nice <sighs> nice I realized we haven't talked about beer characteristic in a while, so figured <laughs> figured because it's on our logo, we might as well take the time to do. Sure, so. <laughs> we can pretend we know what we're talking about. Oh, I always pretend to... I know what I'm talking about when it comes to beer. <laughs> uh, I'm back! I, yay! All welcome right. back, Kirsten. Sweet. Sorry about that. No, it's ah, fine. It's all right. We used the opportunity to. Um, honor our sponsor the beer monger on southeast division and 12th so it was just it was it's perfectly timed we just wrapped up <laughs> um yeah you were talking about gear ratios and just sort of um like approach in general yeah so um you know i, I started out with the um salsa fargo and you know it's it a fantastic bike and it um i I eventually started asking the question, what would it be to, um, to get a custom frame and fork? Um, so <clears throat> in looking around, um, I found a frame builder um, not too far away in Quincy, California, um, Cameron Falconer. And I got a frame and fork from him. Um, and he recommended, you know, going with a one by system. And so my, uh, drivetrain um definitely simplified at that point and i've been super happy with that bike it's a it's a 27.5 um plus wheel size um and with a custom bike i got it set up just for me i'm i'm a small rider um and so it's harder to get um small bikes off the shelf Mm -hmm. um and that's definitely something that the custom frame builder can fix for you um so so that those were my my reasons for for going with that nice was it a steel frame it's a steel frame um and uh and now it's just a question of what will be the next (laughs) custom steel frame yeah (laughs) so um is there and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I'm curious, is there um, a, a specific way they designed the frame around the drivetrain, or was that just part of the setup going with a one-by? Like, it it didn't change the specs, or the question is, did it change the specs when you decided to go with a one-by versus, like, an, any other um, drivetrain? Yeah, so um, Cameron prefers building around a one-by drivetrain um, for mountain bikes, um, especially with plus-size tires, because mm-hmm. you um, have a certain clearance uh, between the chain and the tire. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there's a, there's a few different considerations, I think, when building the frame around a one-by system versus a two- or three-by system. Um, 
but I'm not a frame builder, so I don't know <laughs> right. um, sure, sure. all the details. But, um, you know, especially with our Nevada mud, um, we have this horrible clay that will stick to everything. And in just a few feet will render you um, motionless with a 75 pound bicycle. Um, when the mud accumulates on the tire, your chain becomes this mud scraper. Sure. And, and maybe you have the same issues with your mud uh, where you ride. But, um, you know, the one by system doesn't like having a muddy chain. Mm. Um, that narrow wide chain ring is is pretty sensitive to having a nice clean chain. So yeah. I've, I've definitely noticed that over time as well. This is also a good case for disc brakes then. Absolutely. Yeah. Disc brakes are, are a must. Yeah. Disc brake checkbox. Yeah. <laughs> One more tick. <laughs> um, with the, with the frames I've seen, you know, and that's, this is, I've, I've been researching the ever living heck out of bikepacking bikes lately. Um, and it seems to me that there is an advantage, especially in that mud scenario you you were talking about, you can run a slightly smaller tire or what would be considered a medium-sized bikepacking tire. Um, and some frames will actually have enough clearance both in front of and into the sides of that, you know, once the mud builds up to an inch and a half, you can still move the wheel um, as, as part of a consideration. But my guess is at, at eventually you're going to find yourself with a rock or something just scraping things off. Definitely. Um, you know, that was a consideration Cameron made when uh, building or designing the frame and fork. Um, he wanted to give me a little extra clearance. Um, I, I have a handful of friends who, you know, try to fit the largest tire possible into their frame and fork. And then as soon as there's any mud, they, they grind to a halt much quicker. <laughs> you know, I mean, eventually everyone stops in mm-hmm. the mud. Yeah. Um, and you're pushing your bike or, you know, sliding your bike along because the wheels have absolutely stopped turning. Um, and so, yeah, having a little extra clearance, um, especially during the muddy season is, is a great consideration. Do you run with, um, any type of mud deflection apparatus or just tires plus frame? Tires plus frame. Um, I've, I've also been on a ride with someone um, with fenders and the mud packed into the fender, yeah. you know, all the way around the wheel. Um, and so we had to stop and remove the wheels and then start scraping the mud. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's just part of, part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to imagine like when I think of that issue, I think in, in regards to your mud comment, I don't know if we, get that type of mud uh here within the willamette valley but i've definitely experienced it in central oregon in like southeastern oregon um and it is that kind where if it rains in the morning even if it's just like a tenth of an inch you look outside and you're like i'm gonna wait another hour until that dries <laughs> out because yeah if i try to go out now i'm just gonna be suckered um but the I, I always think of some type of bar on that clearance where it it's kind of like a it goes diagonally across the chain stays or the tops of the the down tubes i guess um so that it would self-clear but i'm imagining it's not a thing because i haven't seen it on any bikes uh i'm guessing because it doesn't actually work (laughs) (laughs) but but i i I always dream of that perfect scenario 
<laughs> yeah, just a, just like a like a like a little cheese. You know how you cut cheese with those fine <laughs> cheese wires, like something like that that's just welded into your frame, <laughs> so you can just you, you know you'll get mud, but you'll get mud only up to a certain point. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pro- probably doesn't work, but I I don't think it'll work out dream. as well as you as you think it will work out. Well, maybe I should, you know, with all the other things I say I'll do, uh, start right. a bike company. Give it a, that'll, give that'll it a try. Be our See what happens. Right. <laughs> and when it fails, It'll I'll be, be like, all right. great testing grounds for you. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll test pilot if I ever pick up a bike packing bike. Let's, we'll put it that way. <laughs> Sweet. Um, what are some of the other considerations for getting out on a trip? You know, there's different, very different environmental and climate factors um, than one riding here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah. How's your approach, you know, route finding or, um, yeah, considerations and that kind of deal. You know, in, in Nevada, we are very fortunate that we have, um, at least 85% public land. So, um, you get spoiled. If you look across the landscape, there's a very good chance that you are welcome to cross that landscape. Um, and then, with as much sort of exploration, um, whether it's mining um, or ranching in Nevada, there are reasons to build roads. Um, so you can find roads almost anywhere you look. And um, with, with very few exceptions, you are welcome on those roads. You're not going to find um, locked gates um, or, or other things that, you know, private property signs. Um, I mean, it, it does exist, um, but it is, it is fortunately very rare. Mm. Um, so being in the desert, water is, you know, one of the biggest considerations. And so, um, you know, those who bike in the desert, it's not unusual to pack four, five, six, seven, eight, or more liters of water um, on your bicycle. And so there, there are ways that I've, you know, modified my bike during the hottest and driest times of the year to turn it into a water boy. And, um, so those are some of the considerations that I make, you know, um, if there's been rain, I know to stay off those clay roads. Um, (laughs) and then being high desert, my time off, you know, working in a bike shop is the winter time. And so that means, you know, maybe I'm out, um, in the snow, um, or, or during a very stormy time of the year where the temperatures are, are cold, not as cold as, you know, some, what some folks have to endure. Um, but definitely colder, um, snowier, um, harsher than what I would prefer than if I were bikepacking in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd want a really, really good fat bike for some parts of Hawaii. Yes. A balloon, a balloon tire bike, perhaps. <laughs> really? Yeah. You want a lot of float there. <laughs> um, so I, I heard an interesting tidbit uh, from one of our listeners, Seb- Sebastian Poole, uh, and that was uh, Reno Bike Project's involvement in Burning Man. Uh, would you be interested oh, yeah. in speaking a little bit towards that? Yeah. So... Um... I, I like to consider Burning Man our greatest fundraiser every every year. Um, it we, we are we are very fortunate. 
you know, I mean, there are community bike shops, um, you know, around the world and around the nation that aren't so fortunate to be able to sell literally hundreds to thousands of bicycles, um, refurbished bikes, uh, repurposed bikes um, to tourists coming to party in the desert for a week. Um, and so from our first first years, um, we've had a great relationship with Burning Man. Um, we currently, I mean, obviously this year, there's no Burning Man. So um, we're having to pivot right. from that. But our normal uh, summer uh, or August sales for Burning Man, um, this year we were anticipating selling 1,300 bikes. Um, these are bikes that we have fixed up all winter and have stored all winter. These are bikes that are not good enough to sell to the public in Reno for basic transportation. Um, it's minimum transportation for on the playa for a week. And, and the playa is a very harsh environment for a bicycle. Um, any bicycle that goes out to the Black Rock Desert for an extended period of time um, needs to be completely overhauled. Um, or else becomes trash very quickly. Mm. Um, so, you know, the um, the number one bike of Burning Man is the Huffy Cranbrook Beach Cruiser. Um, so it's, uh, you know, sold by Walmart. Um, I think it's typically sold for uh, under $100. Um, and so Walmart is the big winner in all this in that they get to sell um I, I haven't heard what their numbers are, um, but they, they can sell thousands of these bikes. Um, and, and then folks, you know, after they're done with Burning Man and they're, you know, flying home to maybe South Africa or Europe or Australia, um, they're not going to take a dirty, dusty bike with them. So um, it's fantastic when they can donate that to us. Um, and then we can fix it up so it can be used again the next year. Um, so I, I like to say that, you know, we do our part to make sure that these bicycles don't become trash because unfortunately that's what would happen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and Nevada landfill does not need to be filled with, um, you know, thousands of bikes from, from Burning Man every year. Um, To my employees, um, I let them know that, uh, you know, you can fit about 350 bikes in a um, international shipping container. And so if we are, you know, repurposing 1,300 bikes each year, um, you know, that's going to be four shipping containers worth of stuff that doesn't have to come to Nevada, that doesn't have to end up in landfill. Um and then, you know, the very, very busy two weeks that we have leading up to Burning Man where we sell all these bikes and that incredibly busy weekend before Burning Man. Although it's a lot of hard work, it's a great party. I mean, we have all these customers yeah. coming to us from around the world and they are there for a good time. So... It really can be a fantastic experience in the shop, you know, working with folks from around the world mm. um, and and just making sure that 
they have the bikes and the accessories and things that they need so that they can go out and party in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they come back, um, you know, I'm there to receive their bikes or anything else that they're donating and take their trash and wish them well and hope to see them the next year. And there are customers that I've seen year after year. Um, do they but, uh, do they try to find their bike in the pile again and be like, hey, that, that, I'm getting that one? Sometimes, you know, um, really, every once in a while we, we hear, oh, that was the bike that I had, you know, maybe not last year, but two or three years ago. <laughs> like they recognize their bikes yeah. because, you know, they, they've they've dressed them up and they've made them particular or, you know, whatever it is that they've done so that they can recognize their particular Walmart, Huffy, Cranbrook from all the others. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's, it's really cool because, you know, the the skeptic in me is like, Burning Man can't really be that carbon neutral, right? Um, and whether it is or it isn't, it's still cool to hear that there's, there's this system out there that is reusing these bikes and, and is, is helping to uh, keep these bikes in circulation rather than it's it's used for this you know this time and then just abandon you know i the, the negative side to, to burning man um and and i will will always mention this is that <clears throat> unfortunately there ends up being this line of trash sure. from from gerlach nevada to to the airport in reno mm-hmm. um and and there really just isn't any way around it. You know, you've finished this event, you're flying home and, and, and I put it on everybody, you know, we have to make it so that it is easy for people to clean up, to be able to dispose of their trash appropriately. And, um, you know, with, with all the most considerations. Um, and so this is, this is something that, you know, Reno has to struggle with and the communities mm-hmm. between Gerlach, Nevada, or the Black Rock Desert, and and Reno. Um, but I can say that, you know, everyone involved, they are doing an excellent job. Um, and and every year we get better, and, and we learn from, uh, you know, the previous years. <clears throat> so, um, and then again, the Reno Bike Project is so fortunate to have this, you know, influx in in our summer economy um, so that we can then provide the services that we do to our Reno community throughout the winter. Um, Because otherwise we would have to be a seasonal shop. Um, But people who rely on their bicycles in Reno rely on them year round. It's not seasonal. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, about sometimes as much as say 20% of our working capital comes from um, the sales that we can make during Burning Man. And it makes it so that I don't have to um, either lay off my staff or put them on, you know, part-time for the winter season. Um, We can keep everyone busy and um, take care of the Reno community year round. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope that, you know, all things considered, we've seen various rallying around shops here in Portland as well. Um, and I don't know, it still feels like a day-by-day thing, uh, <laughs> even three months in. Uh, but 
but in many ways it still is kind of a day-by-day thing so i hope i hope that uh that still means that the reno bike project is able to accomplish its goals and to um uphold its uphold its values in that way too you know day by day is the best answer that we have at the reno bike project um but we have an amazingly dedicated staff um board of directors um you know noah silverman our co-founder is still our executive director um so all of us um, very democratically put our heads together to, to solve any issues that we have at the Reno bike project. Hmm. And um, we're all, we're all confident that um, we'll get through this. And, um, and I really think we'll, we'll come out better in the other end because we've learned some things along the ways that um, otherwise would not have been self-evident. Well, is there, uh, is there anything else that, that the world should know anything we should talk about one thing about community bike shops um <clears throat> is that we we share everything that we do um and so sometimes i get the question um can we have a community bike shop in our community um and and we believe that any community um, can benefit from a community bike shop um it's just a question of, of size and scale. Um, but if, if anyone is interested uh, in starting a community bike shop, then please reach, reach out to us at the Reno Bike Project. Um, everything that we do, um, we share. Um, and everything that we do has come from another bike community bike shop. Um, you know, we, we have invented nothing <laughs> building on we, the shoulders we've shaped of giants. everything to work for us um but i i really can't think of one thing that we do that is uniquely ours um and and there's no shame in, in admitting that um totally um and i would say that the one thing that we have shared the most with other bike uh bike shops is the the need for um, having a strict budget. So if you, you can understand where your money's coming from and where it's going, um, I think a lot of people will, will start any small business with, with all sorts of ideals and passions and, and needs and wants. Um, but the Reno Bike Project has been so grounded with its uh, annual budget. Um, I think that's been a key to our success. Gotcha. Yeah, especially, you know, when when that's core and there are larger overpinnings of that's that's kind of the, the system we are in right now. Uh, <laughs> holding to it sounds like a, a definite good way to keep it going. You had mentioned, you know, the uh, Tahoe Pyramid bikeway um, and then... Oh, we didn't talk about working, Tahoe Pyramid? We're <laughs> <laughs> working, uh, you know, working with our um, local tribes. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to go onto their land, um, that's definitely changed with, okay. uh, with, with, with COVID. coronavirus yeah. and COVID-19. Yeah. You know, this year we, we got to celebrate um, not the absolute completion, but, you know, uh, definitely the, the most complete that we've ever had, um, the Tahoe Pyramid Bikeway, which is really a, a gem of a bike path that goes from 
super uber famous Lake Tahoe, um, which is a lake that is shared uh, between Nevada and California. Um, so from Tahoe City, um, following the Truckee River uh, to Truckee, California, and then uh, entering into Nevada, going into Verdi, and then Reno. And then at this moment, it ends in Sparks, um, Nevada, or at least it's broken up. Um, but I mean, ultimately, the goal is to produce a bike path that goes from, you know, Lake Tahoe to Pyramid Lake. Um, when we were talking about the um, geology of, of Nevada, one thing that most people don't realize is that um, the water that falls in Nevada stays in Nevada with, with very, uh, very little exception. Um, you know, the, the Colorado River um, does drain some of Nevada's water um, and uh, the Snake River drains a little bit of Nevada's water. But for the majority, um, everything stays in, in Nevada. So all the water of Lake Tahoe um, goes to um, either evaporation um, or flows down the Truckee River to Pyramid Lake, um, where it ultimately either evaporates or absorbs into the ground. Um, and so I'm guessing at least 10 years ago, Janet Phillips, um, the creator of the Tahoe Pyramid Bikeway, came up with the idea to um, put together this uh, bike path. Um, and it's it's been a long time coming, and we did finish um, a section of trail um, between Reno and Truckee. Um, and it's the, the outpouring of the use of this trail by bicycle riders and hikers and runners um, has, has been just bananas this year. Um, everyone I know has just been running out there and riding their bike on it. And, uh, you know, the gravel riders have this new, you know, dirt trail to ride their bikes on. Um, and it's, it's been super exciting. Um, now from Reno to Lake Tahoe, that is by far the most popular section of the trail. Um, going downstream from Reno, um, there is an interruption in the trail until we get to a section of land that, um, has been developed by the Nature Conservancy. Um, it's called the McCarran Ranch area. Um, so there's a short section of uh, trail through there, uh, which running along the Truckee River has been a favorite place of mine to go uh, fishing. Um, so that's super exciting. And anytime I'm out there fishing, I do see a handful of bike riders using that section of trail. Um, and then there's another interruption before you get to the um, Pyramid Lake uh, Reservation in uh, Wadsworth. Nevada. Then from Wadsworth, Nevada, <clears throat> you can take the trail to Pyramid Lake. And it's, it's a fantastic trail um, running through old cottonwood trees and running along, um, you know, historic ranches um, and obviously areas that are very important to the Paiute tribe um, you know, here in Northern Nevada. Um, 
the the terminus uh, at Pyramid Lake is in the town of Nixon. And um, anytime I get a chance to take people to the museum there um, so that they can see the history of um, of that area and, you know, about the 10, about 10,000 years of, you know, human history um, there with the, um, you know, Paiute tribe. Um, <clears throat> it, it really is, is a fantastic resource um, to show people. Um, you know, before before things changed with uh, COVID-19, um, this is the year that I was really emphasizing um, all of my riding um, in and around the Pyramid Lake area. Um, my, my hope is to really be able to show people what an amazing place uh, Pyramid Lake is. Um, it's always interesting meeting someone who lives in Reno who ha they haven't traveled to Pyramid Lake. They, they don't know what it is. Um, and uh, if you get a chance to look at it on a map, um, I think you'll be pretty amazed to see that um, it's a huge lake. Mm -hmm. uh, it, in, in many ways, you know, it's, it's the size of uh, Lake Tahoe. Although looks... Lake Tahoe... Oh, sorry. I'm looking at it on the map. It's longer than oh. Lake Tahoe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, you can look at it and say, wow, it, it might even be larger than Lake Tahoe. Um, uh, you know, there's there's lots of things about Lake Tahoe that make it, um, you know, as amazing and superlative, um, you know, as, as credit it is given. Um, but Pyramid Lake is absolutely magical in its sunrise and sunsetting light. Um, as, as a bird sanctuary, it is fantastic. And it is a world-class fishing destination for um, Lahontan cutthroat trout, which are the largest trout in the world. I've never um, even heard of that species before. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, please come check it out. It is, it is, worth, um, it is worth the trip. Hmm. Um, um, so what were some of the considerations? Um, you said the trail goes through the reservation or into the reservation um it does okay um, so in completing that trail like what were some of the things uh both like paperwork wise and and just sort of etiquette wise what were some of the considerations you had to had to go through you, you know um you, you always have to be aware of sensitive <laughs> areas um to the tribe and and the tribe will let you know if there are areas that you cannot visit. Okay. Um, so there, there are definitely parts of Pyramid Lake um, that non-tribe members are, are not welcome. Um, the, the trail does not come close to, to any of those areas. So that's, that's not a consideration there. Um, but recreational use of tribal land uh, does require a, a day use permit. Um, and so Hopefully everyone is, um, you know, complying with buying a day use permit to, to ride on the reservation. Um, those permits, uh, whether it's for bike riding or hiking or um, fishing or camping, um, that is the really the only source of revenue that um, the tribe has. Um, so I think in many ways um, it, is, it is very important. Um, to, to 
make sure that you're doing it properly. Um, and then the the maintenance of of the um, of the trails, you know, has to be shared between the um, Tahoe Pyramid uh, Trail Organization and and the tribe itself. Um, and so these were relationships that were developed by um, Janet Phillips and the tribe um, over the years. Um, and then, you know, as trail users, we just have to be infinitely respectful of, mm. uh, you know, anyone that we encounter or the way that we use the land um, and the way that we leave the land. Um, because at any time, um, our ability to, to use the trails can be revoked. Um, so it's, it is very sensitive, um, but it's an amazing resource. Um, and not too long before um, the quarantine and the closing of the reservation, um, because it is a, a sensitive population um, with, with fewer resources than, uh, than any other part of the county, um, I was able to do a uh, bike packing uh, and bike rafting trip um, on the Truckee River um, through the reservation. Um, and it was an incredible way to, to see the trail, to use the trail from the river and from your bicycle. Um, so I, I hope people get a chance to check it out. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. My, my other, you know, bike rafting trips that I, I would like to do, um, include the, the Walker river and Walker Lake, um, but they too go through the, the Walker, um, Walker river, uh, reservation. Um, so any of those trips are, are on hold at the moment as well. Um, but again, I, I really look forward to, um, exploring all of that. Right on. Yep. And we'll all, we'll all do our best to be safe (laughs) until that comes to pass. That's right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Sweet. Well, um, we have some calendar items. We have some headlines and we have some mail. Uh, Kirsten, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Uh, It's been a a pleasure to finally make that happen. Um, And if anybody's looking to connect, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but what would be the best ways to get in touch with you if folks are either looking to get in with the blog or to learn more about a community bike shop program in their neighborhood. So the Reno bike project, um, we are at the Reno bike project.org um, or Reno bike project.org. Um, that's the easiest way to, to learn about the Reno bike project, what we do and then to connect to us. Um, as far as um, bike packing in Northern Nevada or sharing routes um, or dogs if anyone needs a dog <laughs> I like um, it it's, our, our listeners can't see because it's been right. on video but the dogs are nice in the background <laughs> yes um, <laughs> so um, for bike packing Northern Nevada um, that's bikepackingnv.blog um, and uh, you know I'm, I'm also on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter so if, <laughs> if anyone wants to reach out to me please do um, I love sharing. Um, 
sharing what I do, the, the passions um, that, that we all have in common. Um, so if there's an opportunity to do this again in the future, um, I hope to be uh, back at the Sprocket as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'd love to have you. It's I, I love I love one thing that I've been very appreciative about in our doing the digital stuff is we're no longer constrained by yeah. <laughs> literally in Portland at the moment. So um, I think it's been charming to kind of reach out and talk with folks uh, who are doing different things in different places and uh, just kind of checking in with the bike community at large. It's been really nice. Uh, so thank you for granting us that opportunity. You bet. Sweet. Would you like to hang around for our calendar and headlights? Sure. Yeah. Alrighty. Awesome. I'll be here. I love, I love, I love, I love don't don't ever use that. Okay, Tim. We will. Too bad. <laughs> June first through July fifth, Pedalpalooza still going on right here in Portland. Check out pedalpalooza.org for your theme of the day. And August fifteenth is the Swift Summit two hundred one hundred version four in version Lebanon, four Oregon. And the 16th, that very next day, is the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb location. Still TBD. Ooh. You know, I should probably <laughs> check on that because it might not I'm be actually TBD just anymore. about to look. That's just look so that fun saying that right every week. Now. I think we should keep it that way. <laughs> uh, September I mean, 12th. It's not, it's not inaccurate if I just say location unknown if, and I just never look it up. Yeah, right? exactly, right? English. It's tr- it's a tricky language. <laughs> you can do you can do weird shit like that. <laughs> September twelfth is the lads five hundred first fifth first fifth fifth first. Yeah, thanks, Aaron, <laughs> with the assist in Portland, Oregon. Um, and for our showcase this week, I actually want to give a shout out to a bike party that is not on this list, although oh. I will be adding them this week, and that would be the DC bike party um, oh yeah who was part of a interview process that i watched a couple of weeks ago and uh they sound pretty rad so we should put them on the list and uh keep them on the radar thanks to the folks at the dc bike party right on and that was our calendar Uh, we've got three items in our headlines for this evening. Uh, the first sent to us by executive producer Brock Didis, um, which is titled Thoughts on the Killing of George Floyd, but an alternative cont- title could also be Fly Fishing While Black. And this is an article that was originally posted on their personal blog, uh, Chad Brown, but was republished with HatchMag.com. Um, it does talk about outdoorism and uh, being a person who is uh, not not what you. I guess uh, it sounds like a lot of folks would associate with outdoor activities at this time. Um, yeah, um, it just it goes on to point out that um, in 
what we'd like to call the great outdoors. Um, there, there is still, um, how do I say this? Uh, there's racism is just pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the whole system. I mean, it, it's prevalent all over. So of... it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to be like, well, it's, it's, it's still more prevalent in, in the outdoors than it is everywhere else, but we're finding out it's, it's prevalent everywhere. Um, you know, we just maybe had our eyes blind to it for a while. Um, but this this really, I think, brings to light um, things like hiking. This is specifically fly fishing, but things that we associate with, like, outdoor activities have been so predominantly white and, um, and uh, just stayed that way for so long yeah that it became exclusionary and that that there's a good amount of gatekeeping um he Mm. doesn't use that term but i don't think it's out of turn to use it Mm -hmm. in this case there's a good amount of gatekeeping when it comes to um not being of this very white um and and also even even among the white and middle class if still if you don't look a certain way People will look at you kind of sideways regardless, but especially if you are black and a person of color. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's also like on the, a small tangent, maybe part, part of why I believe that the bike you have is the best bike to go on, because there is mm-hmm. really there's that like that look. Right. And I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, I can't tell you what the look is, but like you'll know it when you see it uh there's no one way to experience the outdoors and uh there's no one way to experience the outdoors no matter what your background is either yeah um i think there was a really nice passage within the article where it was said that systemic racism is everywhere even in the outdoor industry even though there are many non-white experts of the outdoors they aren't often identified by the media and overlooked by outdoor companies and conservation groups People of color are rarely invited to be part of these organizations other than perhaps being invited to a panel discussion or being mentioned in blog posts. These gestures to include brown and black folks too often just serve the purpose of checking off the box of political correctness. Indigenous communities and all people of color need to be heard and listened to when it comes to outdoor recreation, policymaking, and nature conservancy. We should not be told what sports are suitable for us, how we are supposed to function, or what we are supposed to wear or eat when we are in the outdoors. And I think that gets kind of to the root yeah. of the of the the sense in the article. Yeah. Um, long before I read this article, I was a follower of uh, this guy. He, I only know him as the Black Alation. He is a guy who hiked the Appalachian Trail. Um, he does all sorts of outdoor minimalist hiking um as a black american uh but also talks about race and being outdoors and um his experiences doing that he also biked uh one of the underground railroad trails as well um but special shout out to him he has taught me a lot in the past i want to say year and a half that i've been following him uh and watching his videos and uh, reading his instagram posts mm-hmm Indeed. So, also, anyone who's listening and is looking, like, what other black voices are out there? There's one. I gave you one. The Black Alation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting, you know, because I've been talking about the bikepacking thing a lot recently, and uh, bikepacking.com, kind of a hub for that activity, 
had an article uh, also kind of talking about how they know that they need to do better and can do better. And the first person that popped into my head was Dwayne Burgess, who has done some fantastic bikepacking content. Um, Also a former filmmaker for Filmed by Bike, but I don't know if anybody's checked out his YouTube channel recently, Um, but I've just loved seeing the content that he's been coming out with over the last couple of years. And um, I wanted to write in the comment article, like, hey, you should you should just like start sending Dwayne bikes because like he knows what he's about and he is just really dialed (laughs) in with that. So I think that you know, it'd be really neat to see him review some stuff. So I've always liked his films that he submitted for. Yeah. (laughs) They were always like right up there at the top. Yep. Yep. Uh, They always had this cool, like all they always ended in this, in this sense of like, it never quite ends. You know, you always are going to wonder what's happening next with these people in his Mm -hmm. films. Oh yeah. Talented filmmaker, tour guide, bike reviewer, and and so many more. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm in Dwayne's corner. Um, so thanks to Chad for putting that article out there and to Hatch for, um, giving it a bigger yeah, spotlight. Yeah, publishing it. Um, also coming up, the ACA has launched a podcast episode, um, and this one is with Dynamo Jenny, and quote, this is also from executive producer Brock, uh, it's very good, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also a viewpoint from somebody of a person of color um, on bike travel, uh, misguided hospitality, and the new ACA. Oh, yeah, and this is part of the new ACA podcast miniseries. Yep, um, and there's actually I think six or seven of them out there now. So, cool. Um, it's always nice to kind of uh, highlight and elevate other podcasts, and um, that's one that we here at the Sprocket have been listening to quite a bit as of recent. Yeah. The last article is a shout out to Portland Street Medicine, who we had on the show a year and a half ago, maybe? It was it was near Cranksgiving. Back when we still had a studio in a trailer. Yes. We did. That was that was two studios ago. Was it? Oh well if you count our my bedroom <laughs> and your like living room as a I'm studio. I'm counting the digital yes. studio, yes, as a studio. <laughs> yes. Uh well they were they were um noticed and uh brought on to think out loud which is a oregon public broadcasting sort of oregon state syndicated uh show that sort of talks about current and contemporary issues within our state uh so the blurb from that portland street medicine provides medical care to people who are homeless the small team also helps connect people with so to the social services that they need they've had to be nimble to keep up operating during the pandemic but they say their work has not changed too drastically we hear from medical director bill topner and acting director of services drew graham um so yeah uh it was just kind of nice to see them pop up on a on a bigger surface and if anybody is interested in a dive into their work at the time that we had a chance to interview them check our backlog uh right on. So we've got a got a really fun interview with them as well yeah, well, uh, it it brings me to the thought of, um, you know, the the tone or the yeah the tone on the streets. Word on the streets is um, there's a lot of talk about defunding and um, eventually abolishing the police and policing. And I'm someone who's pretty behind that. And I think of people like the Portland Street Medicine. Uh, whenever somebody comes to me and is like, well, what are we going to do if there isn't any, you know, what do we do with people who are, who are, you know, uh, 
living sort of outside of what we consider the norm. Um, the port, there's some support groups out there already that are doing the work. Um, and the Portland street medicine is, is somebody that's out there doing the work, um, that really shouldn't be within the police grasp, but has often been put in the police, police scene grasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. The services pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. There's support and services out there. Uh, those are the people we need to be looking to, um, instead of maybe necessarily calling 911 and getting a cop out there. Mm-hmm. Well put. Well put. Yeah. And that has been our headlines. You're taking a lot of responsibility in owning and riding a bicycle. You are now an operator of a wheeled vehicle. Do you know what that's from, by the way? I feel like... That's... So the, the header and the end is from a band called Hurtbird, who no oh, longer okay. exists. It's all the same song, though. Yeah, gotcha. That's just the ending of that song. Okay. When we thank Hurtbird for our headline sounder, I... That is oh, it. Oh, that is our headline sounder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say it out loud for it to make sense. <laughs> I can't believe it took me two years to figure that out. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what we also have for the episode today, Aaron? Besides confusion? Yes. Well, we always have confusion. That's that's kind of a given. <laughs> we got mail. Hey, we got mail. All right. Uh, so Simon P. says, hey, Sprocket folk, thank you. Thank you for putting in all the time and trouble to produce podcasts. Thank you for finding interesting folk to talk to. Thank you for making me laugh. And thank you for doing it all, despite everything. No lame-ass global pandemic is going to stop me thinking about bicycles, <laughs> life hacks, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. But especially life hacks. Yes, especially life hacks. <laughs> I've got a couple of really pressing questions, though. What is Ooh. the regrainery? What are the odds of you having three listeners called Chris Barron? And, most importantly, could the time-traveling Dan Cobb- Gebhardt get next week lottery numbers by chance for me, please? I'll tell you all about the interesting things happening here in Cornwall. The UK's answer to West Virginia, but absolutely nothing interesting (laughs) happens in Cornwall. Although it did go three days without raining once. Imagine how excited we all were. As we've known each other for three years, feel free to use my second name and the thank yous too. Stay happy, healthy, and one more time, thank you from a very grateful listener, Simon P. So he wrote that letter and I realized... Yeah, we've never said his last name. Oh, I just—it's funny because I abbreviated it. I will. Let's get let's get Simon here. I'm, I'm putting it on there right now. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I always I always do it just for anonymity's sake, uh, and I yeah. think that's mainly because like that's how my brain works. <laughs> Certainly, um, but we'd be happy to include. I usually both. I usually when whenever we get a new donor. Uh, try to um, try to get what they would prefer we call them. Indeed. And I'm assuming the pronunciation is Pace, but Simon, Correct. as you've written in, please feel free to write in and yell at me and say, no, that's not how you do it. Because <laughs> uh, everybody knows yes. that my role here at the Sprocket Podcast is butchering names, and I am proud <laughs> to hold that title here. So what is, what is the uh, bike initiative 
called Kiwana Guthrie. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I look it up, but it, you know, like I was saying, English is hard, and sometimes the phonetics. <laughs> That's just not English though don't... either. Well, so. uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm talking about like the phonetic breakdowns. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of jazz. But yeah, yeah, it's it's not Kenawa. I know that. Thanks for yelling at me. I just need to, I need everyone to keep me on track. <laughs> we all need those. Yep. Um, so to get to your question, Simon, the regrainery. I will have to ask Aaron Green if I'm getting this right, but that is his carpentry work that he uses um, repurposed? No, reclaimed? I'm not sure what the correct word is but he uses reclaimed or repurposed wood uh for uh his carpentry work hence regrain uri uh i see what we did there so there is that question answered do you want to field the second question i would be happy to uh there right. are three chris barons we have not met number two and number three but we know they're out there yes and so we we you know just just need to shout out their name into the void because uh, every time they are part of the show too in in spirit even if they don't know it they did do a recording with tim mooney um but the third chris baron refused to speak this is true uh, according to one of the other two he was kind of an asshole well <laughs> their words not mine <laughs> <laughs> I, I will refrain from saying anything for, <laughs> because I have nothing to say. <laughs> I really hope they get the joke. <laughs> Sweet. And uh, Dan Gebhardt, if you can email those lottery numbers to us, we promise to pass them on to Simon. Um, apologies if it's a week late, but hey, that's just how it might have to roll. So Dan uh, hook us up when you get a chance. Yes, and much, and I, much appreciated. We'll share I the love. I can guarantee that those lottery numbers will be accurate. I'm just not entirely sure what city those lottery numbers will apply for. Exactly. Or I just, state, I guess it's their state run. Did you ever watch uh, Lost by chance? Oh yeah. I just always run those numbers. That's just you know, <laughs> it's, it's eventually going to come feel, up. You're going to feel so bad if you actually win, though. Well, I'll feel pretty good. I'll feel super uh, big brain for just running the same. Because <laughs> I buy like one lottery ticket a year, right? <laughs> right. Oh, uh, sweet. Well, thanks for writing in, Simon Pace. We'd be more than happy to include your second part of your name in the thank you in the credits. And speaking of credits, uh, once again, a huge thank you to Kirsten Graham for coming on the show tonight. Yes, Kirsten, thanks. Uh, would you like us to read the credits in any particular fashion, style, and or spirit? And you can always take a mulligan, and I will always offer that. Uh, I guess uh, style, fashion, and spirit. Um, how about as a limerick? A limerick. Ooh. I'll do my best. <laughs> how how do we do a li- i mean you could always do it in that in that cadence right like iambic pentameter what let's see here oh yeah okay ah uh, yeah mm. okay yeah let's give it a shot <laughs> <laughs> it, it might not count as a limerick but you know what challenge accepted i'm gonna That's give great. it my best shot <laughs> The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray FM Studios 
thanks to the generous support of our Patreon listeners and supporters. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hertbird 4, our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to sustaining donors. Shadowfoot Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Sub Parker Dan Gebhardt, who's a time, who's a time traveler. traveler. Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco, Lo, Rich, Otter, Strum. Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, who's making dinner in the kitchen. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who is on this screen, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons, and founder of The Regrainery. Regrainery, Rory in Michigan, Mike, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Campsite, Macnurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, whoop. Tim Coleman, <laughs> Harry Hugel, EJ Finneren. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Chris Barron, Chris Chris Barron, <laughs> Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks, Marshall, Paula Afunatake, Cycle Craft, Philip M, Spartandale, No Relation, Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Kiwena. Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hole. Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy. Myra Martinez. Oso. Isaac M. David Christensen. 503. And our newest donors, Byron Patterson and JT. All right, that kind of got close to a limerick. And all of our <laughs> farmers who have donated so and helped us get this far. Now, wash your hands. And stay safe, run a race, get a dirty pace, and uh, put <laughs> it on your for face. for the letter, Simon Pace. <laughs> Write another letter, <laughs> Simon Pace. <laughs> and good night. <laughs> oh, all right. That was good. That was good. <laughs> oh, lyrics. So, like, I was trying to see if I could riff off of the end of any of that and just make it mm-hmm. super dirty. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> needed a dirty finish, and it was good. <laughs>